welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. We're going to start off in Luke chapter 3. Um, uh, and, and again, these are familiar texts, as Darren mentioned. There's nothing uh, I, I love more than going back to stories that I already know and discovering myself anew in them and discovering anew that I didn't know what was going on in there again. Uh, So in Luke chapter three, uh, Luke has already in two chapters laid out a plan of revolution. He has uh, taken the battle, if you will, to the Caesars of the culture, to the gods of the culture. He has put them on notice that the kingdom of God is arriving. He has indicated that the promise of God through Israel to, um, to save the world through the witness of this tiny little uh, 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 tribal nation in the middle of nowhere, the backside of nowhere, is now on, on mission and moving aggressively against the systems of darkness in the world. Already in two chapters, uh, he, has, he has said uh, uh, a, a huge um, uh, amount about what's actually going on. So when we come to chapter three uh, and and we get the telegraphed message of John the Baptist coming, baptizing people, preparing the way of the Lord, and then we pick it up at verse 21 where Jesus uh, comes himself. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, And a voice came from the heavens saying, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. We spend the whole time that I've got on just these these few lines. I'm not going to because I wanna get to the next part, but I wanna draw light a, a couple of things. Part of what Luke is doing here is helping us to see Jesus as the embodiment of the nation of Israel. So you remember that Israel descended from Abraham, ended up 400 years in Egypt, then was um, uh, delivered from Egypt and went into the desert, into the wilderness, where uh, they were intended to be formed and framed as the people of God, as the son of God, called from Egypt into the desert for preparation for the mission that God had got them as they move into the promised land. Is everybody with me? Okay, I read this real light, because I I didn't preach last week, so I'm kinda energized to, to, and I've realized that it's kinda like, I don't wanna peel your eyebrows back, so I'll I'll try and (laughs) calm down a little bit. But, uh, but what he's, what he's doing here is saying, so if you can imagine, um, if, if this imagery makes any sense at all, that Israel was uh, uh, given 400 years of gestation in the womb of Egypt so that it could be birthed through the waters of the Red Sea and find its identity in the desert so it could be useful as a son of God to help save the world. Does that imagery make any sense? 
So baptism for Jesus is not about repentance, it's about new birth. It's about fulfillment of a time and now we're released into a new identity. Matthew makes the same basic argument, right? So Jesus is baptized and as he is baptized, that spirit, Genesis chapter two, comes and breathes new life, new energy, new capacity into this body that has been born out of the waters of baptism. I hope all of these metaphors are making sense. It makes a lot of sense in my head. I'm not sure. We doing all right? So, so, so as the spirit comes and rests on him like a dove, the Greek word here for descended is not a, a, a flight, and it, it is a coming and resting so now Jesus is in the gospel of Luke one upon whom the Holy Spirit permanently rests and in whom the Holy Spirit permanently dwells that's what's happening in this tiny little verse and then he hears these words of declaration you are my beloved son you are my son whom I love please notice again We've said this before, but Jesus has done nothing yet to earn merit or deserve the love of the Father. Everything Jesus does flows out of his identity as the beloved son of the Father, not towards it. He doesn't have to prove anything. He just has to live out what has been spoken in. This is the word that he has heard from the heavens. You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Uh, and and, and that, that identity, that core of identity is established. Now, what happens in every single case where God brings something new, as far as I can tell in my reading of the Old Testament, in every single case where God births something new, the very first thing that happens is the solidification of what God has birthed. The, 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 the bringing to, to wholeness, right? So Israel is birthed out of the waters of the Red Sea, out of the womb of Egypt, and immediately is gone into the desert. And in the desert, what is intended to happen is a forming of themselves, a solidification of their identity as the people of God. Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter two, brought into being immediately. Now, the de- it's not a desert, it's a garden, but the same thing happens. They are brought into a place where they are, are, are tested are in, 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 the, in the sense of refining to see if they know who they are and are able and willing to live out of who they are or if there is confusion on that. So it is not surprising that we pick this story up in Genesis, in Luke chapter four, verse one. Now, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led, the Greek in behind here says driven, by the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness, into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. So the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. 
Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil then led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil then led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So, how did Jesus end up in the desert? The Spirit drove him into the desert for the purpose of being tested by the devil. I want you to sit with that for just a minute. Because sometimes we view the enemy as entirely oppositional to what God is doing. Whereas, in fact, the scripture suggests God is big enough to even use the opposition of the enemy to form us to Christ-likeness. You don't want to be um, missing the point of what's going on in the tests and trials and deserts of your life, anxious about what you did wrong to get you there and how in the world you can get out of there as quickly as possible because the 40-day cycle, and you can hear, I've t hopefully we've set it up enough to recognize this is the parallel to Israel in the desert for 40 years. This is the parallel to, to, to Job's testing in his season. This 40-day this period is a euphemism for as long as it takes. It's not a 40, 24-hour period of time. It's a, it's a, a catchphrase that communicates that God is up to something in this desert and will be up to it until it's brought to conclusion. Sometimes the 40 days lasts 40 years because the work takes that long to do, right? And some of us are in deserts of varying kinds, not because we did something wrong, but because we are precisely where God wants us to be under the pressure of this, if you will, the work of the enemy, this oppositional force, and we want to pray him away. No, 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 no. He's sent by God to frame, form, test you so that you will never again forget who you are. This is so critical, and it's especially critical in the world that we live in today because we have anybody else getting all kinds of signals about identity pummeling you on a regular basis, right? And it's, just, and it's just hitting us over and over and over again, and, and in varying forms from all kinds of different directions. If we're not careful, we will believe voices other than the one we hear from above, including voices from our past, 
voices from within our, sen- our, our sense of self, all kinds of places. So Jesus is, is, is led, he's driven by the Spirit into the desert, 40 days, 40 nights, and his preparation for this, and this is so critical as we head into the new year, is to fast, is to fast. Now please notice that what Jesus is doing here is like he did with baptism, he is redefining what fasting is. Fasting prior to this time has been primarily about repentance. Fasting has been primarily about humbling of oneself in seeking the face of the Lord. For Jesus, fasting was strength training. Fasting was a way of saying to his body, you're not in charge of me. Fasting was Jesus' way of developing the muscle memory of denial for the temptation which was to come. You'll please notice the temptation did not come until he had been to the boot camp of the desert and 40 days and 40 nights of soul preparation through fasting enabled him to sail through those temptations and let them do the work they were intended to do without damage to his soul. So that, this is why I, I, I think there are advantages to fasting, other kinds of things. Social media maybe would not be a bad thing just to not, but if we're not careful, we will reduce fasting to moral improvement. Where Jesus says to us, no, 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 fasting is about CrossFit. Fasting is about wind sprints. Fasting is about push-ups. Fasting is about exercises. Fasting is about strengthening your soul for the battle which is to come. So yes, improvement. But let's be clear, we are, especially as we head into this year, it it promises to be uh, quite a ride. What are you doing to prepare? What are you doing? You know, the wise person sees what's coming and prepares. He does not hunker down and pull his you know, blankie over his head. We, 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 we wanna be ready because we are already being pummeled with what Christians believe and think and do. We have been assured this week that God is on our side. Oh, really? I don't care whether God's on my side. I want to be on God's side. There's a whole other dynamic going on there. What's God up to in this world? I want to be part of that. I'm not looking to him to bless what I'm doing. I want to bless what he's doing. So fasting gets us right into the pocket of usefulness so that when we are in a, 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 a place of stress and distress, when the desert uh, seems to stretch out as far as we can see, when we know that we are there, not because we've done something, or this is not about punishment, this is about presence. This is about learning to know that God is with us when we don't feel like it. So we are, we are, are driven into that space uh, and, 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 and reframing fasting. This is why I think, by the way, there is an advantage to an actual food fast. 
yes, social media, yes, you know, whatever else you want to include in on that, fine. But there, it, your, your body will, will, will push back most vigorously when you say to it two meals in a row, once a week, no. It will, it will signal you that you are losing your mind. <laughs> it's five o'clock, it's time to eat. Everybody knows this. Please notice, every major religion in the world has seasons of fasting for precisely this purpose, to let the body know it is not in charge. We need, I, I think particularly, we need to get very good, increasingly so, at not having our physical, and there's nothing wrong with food. That's not the point. The point is food can quickly become a safe place for us. It can become a place of hiding. It can become a place of resistance. Uh, it, uh, it, 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 it can become a place of, of comfort uh, and, and, by the way, a place of identity, right? This is what happens with gluttony when it kicks in. Gluttony isn't eating too much all the time. Gluttony is eating only very specific things that my delicate constitution requires. <laughs> you know that we are the only people in the world who have the privilege of gluttony. And it's going to kill us. So fasting pushes back against that and says... Let, let's maybe start to set a regimen of, 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 of two meals sequentially w once a week or something of that nature. The Pharisees fasted uh, twice, twice a week. The Pharisees fasted twice a week. <laughs> right? And, 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 and some of it was for show, but some of it was anchored in this understanding. And Jesus says, guys, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. So do what they did, but do it for the right reasons, not for show. That's what he's after. So he's inviting us into this, into this rhythm uh, to let the body know that it's, it, and of course you, you recognize there are other, other variations on this theme. Uh, the reason, for example, the Christian community has regularly practiced chastity is because we need to tell our sexual, the sexual component of our body that it's not in charge of our behavior. You need to learn that before you get married, if you're intending to be married, because sexual self-control is harder to learn after you're married. This is why the biblical model here is pushing back against our culture. So it's just another example uh, that, that, that we are invited into to signal to our body that it's not, 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 not in charge, to, to train us in the muscle memory of faithfulness, to train us to persist when we are uncomfortable, when our needs aren't met. Like I say in my, my classes in, in spiritual disciplines, if you aren't kind and generous before you have had your morning coffee, you're not kind and generous. Right? It, it's, the, it, it's, the old, it's the old adage, right? You, you know, you see these two barrels, unmarked. What's in the barrels, vinegar or honey? The easiest way to tell is to give it a kick and see what comes out. Everybody tracking with my little story there? 
All right, so, 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 so we're invited into this, into this awareness. Uh, and then Jesus uh, then says, uh, in, in verse, verse three rather, the devil says to him, now please notice, the framing of this temptation hits right at the core of the, uh, of the, of the identity piece. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. Just to solidify for Luke's audience and us what he's talking about here, this quote and the rest of the quotes that he brings us here come from Deuteronomy. When the children of Israel were in the desert, that's what he is referring to here. Man shall not live on bread alone is in direct reference to the story of God's producing manna for his people to feed them, to sustain them, to nourish them in the middle of this desert, in the middle of this wilderness where there were no resources of any other kind, God provided for his people. What is Jesus saying? God is my provision. God is my provision. Fasting is not denying my body necessary food. Fasting is feasting on a different source of nutrition. I am feasting on the word of God, manna. Therefore, it is not that big a temptation to turn stones into bread. Please notice, there's nothing wrong with bread. We'll just have a moment. I love bread. (laughs) I just love the fact that the kingdom is going to be a place of bread. Right? It's an amazing gift that God has given us in this. But that's not the point. What is it that makes even bread nourishing to the body? Is that God has enabled it to be so. He doesn't need bread to nourish your body. Now, I will, I'll say, Darren and I were just talking about this briefly before the sermon, it's critical that we know that this 40-day thing is not something you decide to do. This is something if God needs to call you into. However, the preparation of fasting may be a decision that you and Jesus undertake together. So as he goes into this and, 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 and is tempted to prove his identity, because you know, this is a, the essence, if you are the son of God, then do something to prove it. You prove it. And his response is very basic. Uh, I don't live by bread alone. Huh. How, do you, how, do you, how do you push back against that? Uh, and, 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 and by the way, underneath this, Henry Nouwen suggests that what is at root here is a temptation to be relevant to the need of the moment. Relevant to the need of the moment. It is very, very possible that when we are faced with needs all around us, the hungers of our body, the hungers of our community, is the temptation is to rush off and do something that we can do without attending to whether it's an expression of our identity or a longing for identity. Jesus knows us who, if you have to prove who you are, you don't know who you are. Right? So he invites us into this, into this awareness. By the way, did you catch how important it is 
to know scripture by heart. This is why the reading plan is so critical. Your word have I hid in my heart. I'm not just gonna learn it in my head, I wanna learn it by heart, so that when I need it, it just bubbles up out of who I am. That doesn't happen automatically. That happens because Jesus is soaked in and had memorized all of these stories before he was 10 years, years of age. So the, the outcome uh, here is, is, is uh, that he passes that, that first test. Then the second one, the devil leads him to a high place, shows him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world and says to them, they're all mine. I will give them to you. All you need to do is worship me. All you need to do is worship me. And this is a particularly insidious one right in the center here. Because remember why Jesus came in the first place was to save the world. Precisely what now he is being promised to receive. And it's a shortcut that avoids the cross. Because the means by which Jesus will save the world is by serving the world to life. He will lay his life down. He will not exert his power and authority. Please notice the subtle temptation here that plays to the ego is that if I were in charge, everything would be much better. Jesus, by the way, is the only one of whom that is actually true. And he will, in fact, become the king of the world. He is now. You with me? You don't live in a republic any longer. You are citizens of a theocracy. You have green cards that indicate you are citizens of the kingdom of the heavens who are temporarily residing in the Republic of the United States of America. This is not your home. This is a temporary dwelling place. And what happens in this temporary dwelling place needs to be governed by the authority under which you serve. Okay? As we think through where we're going this year, let's be clear. God is not on our side. I want to be on his side. I want to be doing his stuff. You with me? So, so as, we, as, we, as we work through that, uh, uh, it, it, this temptation is, you, because the way Jesus has become king of the world is by dying. And the enemy knows strategically, that if he can avoid that, uh, all you gotta do is, you can save the world by just worshiping me. We, we'll cut a, cut a deal here. And Jesus' response is really, really interesting. Again, from Deuteronomy, you worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The temptation here is to be strategic, to be smart, to find another way, one that avoids pain and discomfort. I gotta be honest with you as much as I possibly can to be who you are as a son, a daughter of God into whom he has spoken his love and his life is going to hurt you at some point. Identity always rubs, it always hurts. There's always pain, there's always challenge and difficulty in being who you are, always. Right? 
<clears throat> and we live in a culture that says you should never feel pain. You shall never feel discomfort. You should never uh, 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 feel any, any rub. And, and, and the kingdom of God just says, well, no, that's not actually how this, any of this really works. So all of our addictive tendencies to avoid pain and avoid suffering and avoid difficulty actually get us in deeper weeds. We're worshiping other gods, right? Whereas Jesus is saying, no, my identity enables me to lean into the pain of who I am. So I'm not gonna worship you, I'm gonna worship God by remembering who I am, right? And of course, part of that is this, this temptation also to be powerful, to be significant, to rub up against the people in positions. And, 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 and if, if we have learned nothing else, um, it, 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 when Christians, when we are in positions of power, we don't do it necessarily any better than anybody else. We tried half a dozen times throughout history and, and we're not better at it than anybody else. Why? Because we're playing with the wrong set of equipment. When you're trying to rule the world with the systems of the world, you get the outcomes of the world. So when Jesus comes, he doesn't want us to get good at the systems of the world, worship me and all this will be yours. He wants us to get good at and he himself wants to get good at. How does the kingdom speak to this world? And it will, it will sound off, it will sound out of tune to the systems of the world. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 this is actually the only way to save the world. It's like we are flying upside down in a storm at night. And somebody says, the instruments are all indicating you're flying upside down. And the pilot says, no, it feels right. Well, your feeling is wrong. Turn the plane up or you will rise us into a mountaintop someplace. Does that make sense? So, so Jesus' response is don't, don't succumb to the temptation to, to play into the power structures of the day, to play the game of political power or any other kind, religious power, spiritual power, works the same way, to be significant. And then finally the devil leads him to Jerusalem has them stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up. Wouldn't that be so cool, right? I mean, can you imagine any shortcut to establishing yourself as the Messiah of the world than to do a swan dive off the highest point of the temple, highest point in the city of Jerusalem. And then as you are about to crash and burn on the cobblestones below, you see these winged creatures coming and, and lifting you up and carrying you aloft on their arms. And, 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 and angels usually come with flames of fire or maybe trumpets or maybe choirs. Wouldn't that be so cool? Mm. Mm. No. What happens is we want and are tempted by the spectacular, even in our spirituality. 
we, we will be drawn away from the step by step, one foot in front of the other, obedience of the day by these, all of these goal things that we will discover shimmering in the distance that when we get to them are not actually gold. And especially in our community here, Darren and I have had this conversation over the last 10 years frequently. We believe solidly in charismatic manifestations. We believe solidly in healing and miracles and prophetic words and miraculous things. We've, many of you are sitting here today as a result of God's miraculous power in your life. Don't be tempted by the things that glitter and gleam in terms of spirituality. We, 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 we are called to a robust faith. If we, are, if we are in pursuit, what happens is we become in pursuit of the spectacular and we are not on station when the battle is joined. We are distracted. We miss the point. There's a reason the garden is in Long Beach. There's a reason you are where you are in your place of employment, in your place of residence, in the family you're in. How do you intend, if you are distracted by things that are happening in somebody else's spirituality somewhere, to be where you are supposed to be in the moment where you are needed to be there? So don't be seduced, don't be tempted by the, by the spectacular to, to, to and, and please notice, Jesus gets what's going on here. It's not him who's being tempted now. Throw yourself down and God will rescue you. And Jesus' response is, no, 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 you don't put the Father to the test like that. That's what he's talking about. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Don't make God prove it. Because if you haven't feasted enough on the word of God, you are my beloved, in you I am well pleased, then making God prove it by miraculous means will not prove it to you. You won't believe it. You'll be constantly looking for another miracle that God will need to do so that you'll know you're okay, right? I believe in prophetic words. I believe in them strongly. I've received two or three over the course of my lifetime. Yes, I said two or three. I don't wake up every morning. <laughs> Can I get a word? Do I get out of bed today? I'm waiting for a word that says, no, just stay there. Jesus was so in tune with the heart of the Father that he was the word of God. So I want to, I, I, and, and, and I, I know that that ruffles some feathers, that's okay. I'll be over in about three minutes. But I, I, I want you to sit with whether you already have enough to do what is necessary to do today. Because the older you get, the more mature you get, the less God has to tell you what to do. He trusts you to walk with understanding. So we are invited into this deep and profound awareness and the temptation is to, uh, to the spectacular. Uh, and, and so we, we, we resist, we push back against all of these forms. How? 
We've developed the muscle memory. We've developed the capacity to say to our body, you're not in charge. We recognize that we don't need to run after all that glitters because we have discovered already it's not gold. Most of what glitters isn't gold, right? We don't, we don't need to, to be, to be, to be um, uh, uh, participants necessarily in the political systems as a way of accomplishing things. By the way, don't, don't misunderstand me. If God has opened doors for you to participate in the political systems, by all means, we desperately need you there. But go there as a citizen of the kingdom first, not as some representative of some other kind first. Keep it right side up. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.